All right. Well, good morning to you. You're going to do better than that. Good morning to you. We are grateful that you came out today on a chilly day, and my watch tells me it's a whopping 12 degrees outside. That's not wind chill, that's actual temperature. So thank you for coming this morning and sharing in worship today. And we did have a good time in worship. Amen? We really did. You know, I, I was, we were pulling to the parking lot this morning. I said to Judy, I said, Judy, it's hard to believe. Do you realize last week we were pulling into the parking lot and it was Christmas Eve? And already it seems much longer than just a week since Christmas has come and gone. And last week was so full of anticipation. I mean, we were just so excited about, you know, the possibilities, you know, what, you know, I'm old enough where getting together with family was just incredible, what gifts we might receive, worship that morning, the Christmas Eve service, and I'll still say this, if somehow you have not made it to a Christmas Eve service, it's not that you have family or going on, you just never thought about going to church on Christmas Eve, you need to try it. We had a packed house. The, under the steeple over there was one small corner in the back, had a few seats. But other than that, we were just filled to capacity, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It was just good things. And so and now what you do is, and it'll, it'll be over in just a few days, but what we do now is we say, so like, um, did you have a good Christmas? You know, that's what people say. Did you have, kind of like the summer thing. Did you have a good summer? Well, did you have a good Christmas? What did you do? Where did you go? And what did you get? And you might, you know, go through those. Well, we went with family and da-da-da. And what did you get? Oh, I got this present. Now, every once in a while, and maybe if you're a woman, I guess if you believe the TV commercials, you know, you say, what did you get for Christmas? And all you say is, he went to Jared's. And I'm not sure what Jared's is, besides I know it's a jewelry store, but supposedly it's the epitome of jewelry stores. And oh, he went to Jared's. And you go on and on and start trying to describe this wonderful gift that you received. And you know what? The song that Linda just sang does exactly that. You know, Christmas, we hope this year, as we've done the song of Christmas, that we really made it clear. And the last slide says it best. You know, Christmas is all about the cross and the empty tomb. And the best news, the, the greatest gift we will ever receive is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And I am glad to report to you today, as our sister just sang, Jesus Christ is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. And that is true. That's true. If you had a great Christmas and everything went according to plan, and frankly, that your life is going according to plan, that's true. And it's also true if it's not. If it's not, and that's exactly what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about in this in this Song of Christmas series, the last one, something to sing about. We have something to sing about regardless of what circumstances are dictating to us. The, uh, the verse, the last verse of this says these words. I was going to be brave and sing it, but after Jesus is alive and well, I ain't going to try it. Unless I could do a jazzed up version of it. But listen, you know, again, this has been one of those carols that I cannot believe how strong the message of God is in these carols. It's, it's so wonderfully rich, not only in theology and doctrine, but in truth. Here's what it says. Now to the Lord sing praises. Now to the Lord sing praises. All you within this place. And with true love and brotherhood, each other now embrace. This holy tide of Christmas, all others doth deface. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Truly, as Christ followers, 
we have something to sing about. Now, if you want scriptures on praise, it's everywhere. It's everywhere in the Bible. But perhaps it's no clearer than the book of Psalms. And of course, keep in mind, the book of Psalms is the Jewish hymn book. These are our writings that really were songs. And my goodness, they are so rich and wonderful. And today, we want to look at Psalm 146. Psalm 146. And the circumstances and the message of this is just incredibly Powerful, And I hope it will really speak to our hearts, not only as we look back a week and say, thank you, God, for Christmas, but also as we look forward to, as God sees fit, to the new year that we are right on the edge of jumping in. Speaking of being on the edge, I said in the call out, tomorrow morning, Lord willing, I'm going to get out, and it's supposed to be 14 below zero, and uh, I'm going to get my car and drive to the radio station and do the Baptist hour. So if you're up at 7 o'clock, Brent, you probably won't be. Um, but if you're, if, if you're up at 7 o'clock, be sure and tune in to 1240 WBQ because, you know, there's never a really big audience for, for the Baptist Hour. It may be thinner tomorrow. It may be thinner tomorrow on New Year's Day. So take your Bibles and look at Psalm 146, and it's just an incredible, incredible psalm. Now, now let me, these first two verses really set the tenor of the message. And I wrote a couple of things down. First off is this. That, that this writing comes from a solid, trusted relationship with God. Um, so often, I remember, I remember back when we were in Germany, and we had this kid, and actually a kid, he was, he was probably 20, 25, 21 years old, probably 20 years old. His name was, I don't remember his last name, but his name was Jerry. And Jerry was just one of those, can I be honest, loud mouth, braggios kind of people, you know. And uh, he thought he knew everything, had been around the world three times, and he had not. He was not there in the military. He was a son of, a, of somebody who worked at the base and came to our church. And I remember that Jerry one time, the pastor was talking, I think if I remember correctly, about his mother. And the story was going that she was sick and all this, you know. And boy, I want to say that, that the story was going that she wasn't a believer. I just, I can't remember that part. But ultimately, the pastor dropped the tagline, and he'd been praying for her and praying for her and praying for her, and he dropped the tagline and said, and she died. And Jerry goes, Amen! And you're talking about bad timing. You know, you know, Peter did that on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, when he was up there with Jesus, he didn't know what to say, so he said, let's put up tents! Let's put up tents. Often we do that. Well, well, this is not just a, woohoo, praise the Lord, you know. I'm all emotional. I'm fired up. This is so rich in the relationship with God. So that is, the, that is what inspires verse number one and number two. It's not just a casual emotional statement. It comes from his heart. And he starts with the three words in, in this translation. And by the way, don't normally do this, but today I'm using the New Living Translation. It's a valid translation, but it's not what I normally use. But it starts out by saying, praise the Lord. In fact, if you want to look ahead, if you look down the very last verse, the last three words in this are praise the Lord. So it's the bookends. It's the Alpha and Omega. It begins with the praising of God and it ends with the praising of God. And now the word praise, the words there, praise the Lord, literally translates from the word hallelujah. And some of your translations have that word hallelujah. And it literally means, um, it means praise Yah. Praise Yah. Taken from, it's a shortened version of Yahweh. 
Yahweh. So the author is simply saying, praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then he goes and tries to explain how much he does that. Okay? That's why I say this is not a casual throw up your hands and go, woohoo, love God today. This is really a deep thing. He says, first off, let all that I am praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. So, so how much? With all that I am. With every ounce of my being. Now, keep in mind, obviously, we're talking to Christ's followers today. People who have, people have experienced God's amazing grace and received His forgiveness. So, so we would shout and say, so, so we love God, that all that I am, with every ounce of being I am, let me praise the Lord. How much? With all that I am. Also, how long? How long should we praise the Lord? Well, verse 2, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. It will not be long enough, whether it's 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, or 80 years, it won't be long enough for us to praise God. In fact, let me, let me, let me blow your mind. Eternity will not be long enough for us to praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, now you start, listen, listen. You start understanding that when you realize what that's all about. When that becomes real. Actually, let me just back up a little bit. When, when you understand how real hell is, how real heaven is. When you start understanding the scope of eternity and the fact that you are going to be separated from God for all eternity in a Christless burning hell, and yet God intervened on our behalf through the cross, all of a sudden it becomes much easier to say, praise the Lord. In fact, we can't sit on our hands. We have to praise the Lord. We have to say, let all that I am within me praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. So, so how much? With everything I am. For how long? All of my life. With what passion? With my dying breath. With my dying breath. You know, it's said that back in the Roman Empire days, when the Caesars were killing Christians and hanging them on poles and burning their, covering their bodies with tar and using them to light the streets of the Roman Empire, that, that often all they had to do was declare, Caesar is Lord. And time and time again, they would say, Christos is Lord. Jesus is Lord. With their dying breath, Jesus is Lord. Lord. You, you right, might remember um, three guys. And they were, they were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there were three Hebrew, bo Hebrew boys. In fact, I need to probably pause and let you know that the context, the background for Psalm 146 is the people have been in exile for 70 years. They've finally been released to go back home, okay? And they've come back to damage, discouragement, destruction, all of that. That's the context of him saying, praise the Lord. It wasn't that things were going incredibly well. It's in spite of the fact that things were incredibly bad, okay? So, so Shadrach and Meshach, okay, are in exile in Babylon. And the deal is, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has said, I'm going to set up this big old monument, and you've got to fall down and worship it. If you fall down and worship it, that's great. If you don't, we're going to throw you in a, a burning, fiery furnace, okay? So they get the, you know, they do it, and they, they toot their horns and all that, and all these people fall down and start worshiping this idol. But there are three figures that don't. Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. So Nebuchadnezzar brings them and gives them a second chance because he likes them and says, look, you know, you really need to fall down and worship this. In fact, if you do, we'll forget all this ever happened. We'll forget this and we'll just, we'll just pretend like it didn't happen. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And that's the setup for Daniel chapter 3 verse 16, which again describes this passion of praising the Lord that I'm trying to convey to you today. Here's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says. And starting in verse number 16 of Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him after the king said, We'll forget all this if you'll just fall down and worship the golden idol. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. In other words, Mike, they would have dismissed their lawyer. They would have dismissed their defense attorney and said, We don't even need to try to defend ourselves in this. Now, this is where there's a couple things I really want you to grab today. Because again, Praising God is not contingent on how good our circumstances are. Amen. Praising God does not depend on how good our circumstances are. And secondly, as I was finishing study this morning, I saw this incredible outline of teaching on prayer. Now, we don't want to camp here forever, but I found it very valuable as we studied Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, in verse 17, and I'm not even sure what translation this one is. Who knows? I pulled it off of my, my Logos program. But the first word in the translation I've got, verse 17, is if we are thrown into the blazing furnace. In other words, they acknowledge the fact that's a real probability that they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. That there's a real, that the king probably is not going to go, you know what, let's just, let's just forget this ever happened. You really don't need to go in the fiery furnace. Let's not. They understood with that word if, okay, that they were probably going to the fiery furnace. Now, a lot of y'all know um, Linda Paul. Okay, now if your kids have been through the preschool apartment, you know Linda Paul. Okay, now Linda Paul has a saying, and I bet if I wait long enough, somebody could shout it out. And she has something that she says all the time, and here's what she says. She'll be talking to you and go, well, here's the deal. Can I have an amen? I mean, Linda says all the time, well, here's the deal. Well, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying, all right, king, here's the deal. If we are thrown into the firing, blazing fiery furnace. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. That is a declaration of faith in God. I, you said, probably should have said amen. Okay, I want you to understand, they are saying, that the God we serve is totally capable, Tracy, of delivering us through the fiery furnace. If we are thrown into the fiery furnace, our God is able to deliver us. I want you to remember this. I want you to really believe this today, that no matter what you face in this life, God is able. There is nothing that God cannot do. There is nothing that you're going to face in 2018 that your God cannot handle. Amen? That's not a loaded deal. It's the truth. It's the truth. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. So, when we pray, we pray that. God, I believe that you are able to, and whatever it is. I believe you're able, y'all are liking this part, see. Yeah, God, I believe, as I pray today, I believe you are able to do, and whatever it is. But we don't stop there. Because it goes on and says this. We believe that our God is able, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. 
So then, after they say, God, we believe you are able, they then state their desire and their passion. Their desire is that he deliver us. Their desire, you know, they weren't wanting to be crispy critters. They weren't wanting to be a pork butt, a pork butt, a pork butt on Jeremy's barbecue grill. Okay? They weren't wanting that. Okay? So, so Lord, you are able, and our desire, our passion is that you deliver us from the fire first. And you need to pray that way. God, this is what I need. I believe you're able to do this, and this is my passion, this is my desire. But we don't stop there. And that's where we want to stop. Because we want to make God a vending machine. We want to make God a Santa Claus. We want to make God not smart enough, so we got to tell him what's best. Newsflash! God already knows what's best. And his plan always trumps your plan. His idea is always better than your idea. Write that down. Write that down. It'll save you a lot of time trying to tell God what he ought to do when God's already got to figure out what he should and will do. So, so we have the idea, you know, our God is able, our passion and desire is that he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18. But, even if he does not, this is so crucial, even if he does not, we want you to know something, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. We believe our God is able. And our desire and our belief is that God will deliver us. But King, here's what you need to know. That if he doesn't, it will not impact our faith and our trust in God. Now that's important. Because too many people believe God is able... They state their passion and their desire, and when God does not follow their plan, they are so disappointed in God. Some get angry at God. Some walk away from God. They fail to understand that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above in, chapter, in, in James chapter 1. They fail to realize that God knows best. And here's what they're saying. That, King, you need to understand something. That our faith and trust in God is not dependent on his ability to deliver us from the fire. We are going to trust and believe in God regardless. Regardless. That is praising God with your dying breath if necessary. That's what enables missionaries to go to these dangerous places and to serve. Because they have placed their lives, not knowing if God will every time choose to deliver them. But they have placed their life and their trust in God. And says, God, even if you don't answer this prayer like we want it answered, we still will trust in you. My trust, my trust and loyalty does not depend on you doing what I want. My trust and loyalty is based on that you are God and you are wise enough to do exactly what you will to do. So, so we praise God. We, 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 all that we are, we praise Him. As long, how long? All of our lives. How passionately? To our dying breath. We praise you and worship you. Then, keeping in mind the context of the psalm is what they come home. The good news is they're no longer in Babylon. The good news is they're no longer in, activity, or in captivity in Babylon. But they come home. And they come home to destruction. They come home to desolation. 
They come home to discouragement. Things are difficult. And there are some people there who are doing quite well. Most of them are doing quite well in a wrong way, but they're doing quite well. They're doing quite well by charging exorbitant interest rates. They're doing quite well by thieving and robbing and taking. So, it might be a tempting thing to do when you're in a place of desolation to put your faith and trust in something besides God. Perhaps your life is a mess right now. And it might be tempting to put your faith in something other than God. You're facing a difficult decision. You're facing an uncertain future. And it's so tempting sometimes. Listen. Oh boy, this is probably going to come out wrong. Listen, no matter what your faith in health-wise, God uses doctors, amen. If I get sick, I'm going to the doctor, amen. That's wise. But I should not be trusting in a doctor. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I should be trusting in God. In God. The topic of what Gene and I are going to do in a few more years later on down the road, how, you know, what are we going to do as far as economics goes, when to retire, when not to retire, and by the way, there is no retirement, but when we start taking money out of retirement, you know, what do we do in those days when that happens, okay? Here's the deal. I'm not dependent on Guidestone uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention for my safety and well-being. If I'm trusting Guidestone as good as a company as that is, well, I'm in deep weeds, you think that's foolish? Some of you are trusting the federal government. That's really foolish. That's really, some of y'all are trusting state government. That's even more foolish. It's even more foolish. Everything we do, we trust in God. We trust in God. So, the psalmist teaching, the psalmist teaching with a backdrop of, there's desolation everywhere. There could be desperate times. And there's some people who are doing well. And those people are doing well saying, hey, if you'll just trust me, I'll take care of you. Here's what the psalmist says in verse number 3. Don't. And translate that, I won't. I won't. The psalmist is saying, I won't. But don't put your confidence in powerful people. There are princes and there are nobles around. But don't put your trust, your confidence in them. See, Christians, I think Brent said today, that we live by faith. We live by faith. We don't put our confidence in the world. We don't put our confidence in companies and economies. We put our confidence and trust in God. So don't put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there. You want to know why? The psalmist tells us. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth and all their plans die with them. For the people in, in Israel returning from the Babylonian exile... Okay, they put their trust in a noble. Well, another noble wants to take that noble's place. So what does that noble do? He hires an assassin who kills that noble. And if you put your faith and trust with that noble, then guess what happens to you? They shoot you too. But ain't nobody big enough to shoot God. Put your faith and trust in God. Don't put it in man because they will, they're human, they will breathe their last and they will return to the earth and all their plans will die with them. You know, there's a great verse over in Psalm verse 20 and chapter 20 verse 7. You know, here's what it says. And we, we quote this every once in a while. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But here's our, here's our mantra. But we trust and the name of the Lord, our God. Some trust in chariots, 
Some will face 2018 trusting in chariots. Some will trust in horses. And by the way, both of those are symbols of great power. But rather, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Do you want to know why? You know what's greater than a chariot? You know what's greater than horses, no matter how many you have? It's God. It's, it's God. It's God. And the cool part is, and we're going to teach this in just a moment, is that God spans beyond this world to the next. It's powerful. It's powerful. So, in Psalm 146, now the psalmist, all right, now the psalmist moves on. He said, okay, we're going to praise God with everything that we are for as long as we are, with a passion, with our dying breath, okay? We're not going to put our faith and trust in man because they're going to die, and when they die, any influence, that they, any help they could give us passes with them, okay? Now look at verse number uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy, Psalm 146, 5. But joyful, but joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper. Now, we've explained joy in several different ways. But here's a good way to describe joy. Joy is something on the inside that is not controlled by the outside. Joy is something that is on the inside that is not impacted or controlled by the outside. Practically speaking, joy is something that lives within us that cannot be affected by our circumstances. Now let me tell you something, what's going on. Do you know what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Now it's 14 degrees. We are not being impacted by that 14 degrees because of what's happening in here. As cold as it is outside, there is something happening in here that keeps it at 68 degrees. It's called a furnace. Are you getting it? No matter how the wind blows, no matter how cold it gets outside, the inside is heated and protected from that cold. When he says that, when he says, but joyful, joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, they have something on the inside, and that's a faith and a trust in God Almighty that will not let the outside control them. Okay? The circumstances stink. Have you ever had circumstances that sink in your life? Things happened, have events occurred, and they were bad? And then you, maybe you know someone, and they're going, how can you have this peace and this joy? It's because of what is on the inside. And what's on the inside is a faith and trust in God no matter Amen. what. Amen. No matter what. So, so joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Not in man, but in God. And then watch this, verse, verse 6. He made, and I think David referenced this this morning, He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In other words, our God is all-powerful. If it is... God did it. If, it. if it's created, he's the only creator. So, so when the psalmist says, when the psalmist says, you can have joy on the inside because what's on the inside, trusting God is more powerful than anything on the outside. And that power comes from creator God who, if it's been created, he has created it. He is all powerful. And I love this. He keeps every promise 
forever. You know, you you can find anything out on Google. So I Googled even this morning. I Googled and said, how many promises in the Word of God? I'd heard several numbers, and guess what? There were several numbers. Anything is low, no less than 2,000 promises, and about 8,000 was the highest. So between two and 8,000 promises in the Word of God. And he keeps every one of them. He, listen, he is not a promise breaker. He's a promise keeper. Now, caveat, time out. Do y'all ever sing the little song when you were a kid? Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Remember that? No. I knew you Yankees didn't sing that kind of stuff. I well, it's a good thing you didn't sing it, because you know why? It's not true. Not every promise and the word of God is yours to claim. When, when God made promises to Abraham, it was Abraham's promise. And again, guess what? Just like I said earlier, people read a verse abstractly somewhere in the Word of God. It has nothing to do with your relationship with God. And say, God, here's the promise. I got you in a corner, God. God, you got to do this now, God. And guess what? God doesn't do it. And you get all huffy and mad at God. And if God would speak directly to you, he'd say, you're claiming something that's not yours to claim. If the promise is made to you, he's the promise keeper. But if it's made to Abraham, don't try to claim that. We do, we do so many things, it seems, to, to tacky up our relation. That's a good word, tacky. I don't know where that came from. To tacky up our relationship with God. Let God be God. Let His Word be His Word. Let it stand. Don't try to back God in a corner with a promise that you can't claim because it's not yours. But He is the promise keeper. And then... The psalmist, and this is where we could be here a long time, and we won't. We'll, we'll slice it off where we need to. But then, and this is what I really liked about Psalm 146. Then he breaks into this, this bouquet of examples of, of how good God is. I mean, he starts out by saying this. In Psalm 146, verse 7, the first part, he says, He gives justice to the oppressed. He gives justice to oppressed. You know, and the children of Egypt, the children of Israel totally understood this because for 400 years they were oppressed in Israel. And, and Deuteronomy 4.20 says, But the Lord has taken you, Israel, the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the, I like this word, the iron furnace, and then, comma, from Egypt, to be a people for his own possession as today. Israel understood that. They, they could go back to their history lessons and remember the time. Remember the time that their ancestors were slaves to Egypt. And then God set them free. He redeemed them and set them free. He removed the oppression of Egypt. Well, Dwayne, that's great, but what does it do for us? Some of you say, well, first off, if you've ever trusted Jesus, He has been your rescuer and redeemer from the bondage of sin, death, and the grave. You know, you know what the psalmist is saying. When it says, He gives justice to the oppressed, you are oppressed with death, sin, and the grave. And by the power of the blessed cross of Jesus Christ and our faith in Him, turning from our sin to follow Jesus Christ, He freed us from the bondage of death, sin, and the grave. He set us free. We're no longer oppressed. We know this. 
We should celebrate this. We should celebrate this. Some of you have gone further though. Some of you had an addiction and God set you free. Some of you had an addiction and God set you free. Some of you were, were, had habits and attitudes that were, were dark and harmful. And he set you free. He set you free. He brings justice to the oppressed. And, and he brings food to the hungry. The second part of verse number 7. Now again, the children of Israel, they, they, they got this. They, they left out of Egypt, didn't have a whole lot of supplies in them alone before they were hungry. And the Bible says, you know, when they started whining and complaining, they did that a lot. They whined and complained and said, God, we're hungry and we don't have any food. So, so you know, it's really cool. The first thing God did was, he said, I'm going to send you to KFC. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Kentucky Fried Chicken. First thing we do is send you to KFC for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And the Bible says, quail came in in the evening. As far as I can tell, so it didn't happen every day. It happened at one time. Man, he just bombarded them with chicken. Well, actually with quail. Okay? But he bombarded them. But you know the story, and I love the story. But then every day, every day, they went out and there was this little thing on the ground called manna. And it's really cool because it was sweet. It was sweet like wafers, like, like sugar wafers. I, I know I've referred to manna as grits before. I think I missed it. I think I did. I think it was Krispy Kreme. Yeah, yeah, because it said, it said it was small round things. If you've ever been to Krispy, how many of y'all been to Krispy Kreme before? Yeah, hello. Yeah, you've been to heaven. Okay, so, so, so you get the little round, the sweet round things and you eat them. But now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Krispy Kremes are good. They're incredible hot. And I don't mean in the microwave either. And you know what you, know what you look for, don't you? The red light, the red sign. <laughs> this day we'll go by and she goes, the red light's on. The red light's on. You know what that means? Hot donuts. Hot donuts. Did you know God every morning turned on the red light? Every morning they would go out there and there would be manna, sweet, sweet manna laying on the ground. Every morning His faithfulness. They were hungry and every morning God turned on the hot light. And it was there for them to pick up and to eat. How incredible. What about us, Dwayne? Well, for us, there's a great scripture like John 6.35, where Jesus said to them, all of us and any of us, I am the bread of life. I'm the sweet bread of life. You don't mind me adding that word in there. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's not only the promise, he's a, he's a promise keeper, he's the great satisfier. You know, if you will just let Jesus be your satisfaction. And me too. Not, not me be your satisfier. For me. Because I so often look for satisfaction in other places. <laughs> Somebody said this morning, they said, Dwayne, you've got to quit losing weight. I said, honey, I done quit losing weight. I put about four pounds back on. We're past that. I said, if you don't believe me, ask Judy. So we were sitting there, me, Judy, and Jennifer were out, and we are heading toward Target, I think it was. And uh, it was, you know, it's a little bit, Jennifer and I are a lot alike, and we were needing just a little bit of comfort. And um, Jennifer said, Dad, we need to feed our feelings. I like that. I want y'all to know I fed my feelings. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you what, I rediscovered the joy of sugar. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's addictive, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. 
So, so here we are. Here we are. He says, I am the bread. And if you're hungry, I'll satisfy you. If you're thirsty, I'll satisfy you. Jesus is the great satisfier. You don't need to get it from food. You don't need to get it from things. Nothing wrong with food. Praise God for it. Nothing wrong with things. Timothy, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, you know, God gives us all things to richly enjoy. But don't let food, don't let things, don't let prestige, don't let money become your satisfaction because it can't. It can't. It'll put you in bondage, but it won't satisfy you. He's our great satisfier. And then the psalmist in verse 7, the second part says, The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord frees the prisoners. Just ask, just ask James and Peter. This might be as far as we get to go today. It's, a, it's an incredible story in Acts chapter 12. But again, I'm going to teach you something. Well, the Word of God is going to teach you something you need to hear today. And it ties in that same thought about, you know, we see our circumstances, our circumstances are good, and it causes us to doubt our faith in God. I like, I like this. You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 12, it says, Now about that time, King Herod Agrippa, and this was one bad guy. He was a bad guy. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the Apostle James. Now, this is not James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is James, the brother of John. The guy who wrote the Gospel of John and wrote 1 John. This is his brother. This is the inner circle. You remember when, when several times in Scriptures, the Bible says, and Jesus took Peter, James, and John. That James. The one who was always included in the inner circle. He's in prison he had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. Inner circle? And he allows him to die? And, and you're trying to tie that in with the Lord frees the prisoners? Oh, yeah. See, sometimes it's not how we expect. But when you trust Christ, Jesus frees you. Well, how did Dwayne, how did, how did, how did he free James? Absent from the bodies, present with the Lord. Amen. He was freed from this world and instantly transported into the world to come in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that sounds like freedom to me. See, you know those words the preacher says to you when it's really hard? And we even say them ourselves and say, well, you know, we know she's in a better place. He's in a better place. You know, they're with the Lord. Let those words bring comfort because they're true. They're true. Heaven is a reality. You know, like Paul said, we grieve, but not like men with no hope. Because we believe Jesus died and rose again. But let those words be a comfort. James, listen, God wasn't on vacation when James died. For some reason, God said, James, it's time for you to come home. And I'm going to set you free from that prison that you're in. He just did it in a way that we didn't expect. And God does things that we don't often expect. But it doesn't mean he failed. It doesn't not mean he's not a good God. It means he is a good God. And we need to trust him. Well, quickly, so when Peter, verse 3, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he arrested Peter. 
He kills James, and now he takes Peter and arrests him. Throws him in prison. Guards him with 16 Roman soldiers. 16 Roman soldiers. Puts him in the inner prison. There's Peter. Peter's sleeping. Pretty cool. With his 16 closest buds at that time. And uh, he feels this whack on his side. Stars him awake. There's an angel. Angel says, get your shoes on, get your coat, we're getting out of here. And guess what? The Bible says he left the cell. Let me read it to you. So Peter, this is verse 9 of Acts chapter 12. So Peter left the cell following the angel, and, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. It was too good to be true. They passed through the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. And so they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Did he set Peter free? Did he set Peter free? Yes, he did. Totally different way? Yes. Which one's right and which one's wrong? Neither is wrong. They were both right for them. God said, James, it's time for you to go home. I'm going to set you free from prison. Peter, it's time for you to be set free from prison. Your time to come home is later. So trust God. So trust God. He sets, he frees the prisoners. And he wants to set you free too. So, rather than keep us too long, if you want to go ahead and finish Psalm 146. And here's what I want you to do. Let's do this. In Psalm 146, I want you to finish out the rest of those verses. And then I want you to Google and find out examples of how God does what the psalmist talks about. It's fun. It makes your confidence in God just soar. Because our God is a wow God. He is really an incredible God. Even when he doesn't answer prayers like we think he should. Even when he does things that we can't quite understand. And when we start saying, okay, God, listen, listen, God, here's the deal. Let me get back to that first page. Hey, God, hey, God, I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to do it with all that, all that I am. I'm going to do it for as long as I live. And if it means my dying breath, I'm going to praise you in my dying breath. Because, God, I trust you. I trust you. That's why we have something to sing about. That's why now to the Lord sing praises, all you within this place, and with true love and brotherhood each other now embrace. This holy tide of Christmas, all others doth deface. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. That's why the song of Christmas is so powerful. It's bigger than a tree. It's bigger than Christmas traditions. It's all about Jesus. All about God. All about the cross. All about the empty tomb. Jesus, to quote Linda, is alive and well. Amen. Amen? Let's pray together. This is what we call our time of decision. If you're here today, and we're a smaller crowd, and that's certainly understandable, but if you're here today, and you've never, I'm going to use the church word, and I'm going to try to explain it, never trusted Jesus as your Savior. What that means is, You've never come to a point where you realize, wait a minute, I'm a sinner, and God's not, and I'm separated from God. And I want to come to a relationship they'll call God Father. If that's never happened in your life, God has made a way for that to happen through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas and Easter is all about. 
And today, God invites you to come into his family. But you've got to come by Jesus. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't get dunked in some water enough times. You've got to come by Jesus. And my friend Brent will be standing down front. And we'd love to invite you to come and say, Okay, Dwayne, or Brent, I, I want to know more about this Jesus. Because my life is a mess. My life is a mess. And I know today that I'm separated from God. I can't call him Father. And I want to come in a relationship with him. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be forgiven. Maybe you're here today. And, and maybe the Holy Spirit touched a nerve or two. Because you realize today you're not trusting God like you should. Sometimes we trust in governments and men and jobs and retirements and things like that. God just says, put your trust in me. They'll all fade away. I will not. I'm all-powerful, and I am eternal. Follow me. Maybe you're here today, and, and you have trusted Christ, but you've heard about this thing called baptism, and you really don't understand what it's all about, but you know it's something God wants you to do, and we'd be glad to explain that to you this morning if, if you've trusted Christ and would like to be baptized. Perhaps you're here today, and God's been speaking to you about joining our church family. We'll give you that chance. And if you'll just take Brent by the hand and say, Brent, I'd like to join the church. We'd be glad to talk with you about that. And you know, maybe you just need someone to pray with you. I so appreciate it. Uh, Mike did a wonderful job sharing today about praying for our missionaries. Prayer is so valuable. So valuable. Maybe today you've got some things on your heart and would like someone to pray with you. We've got some folks down here who would love to do that. They would love to pray for you. So whatever we can do to help you in your decision for something God's leading you to do, that's what we want to do today. So God, thank you very, very much for the privilege of sharing this. You are a magnificent God. I pray personally, and I pray for us, God, as we enter, as you see fit, this new year, even at 12.01 tonight, we don't know how much we're going to see of it, if all of it or part of it, but may we live as a people who trust in Creator God. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.